Thank you, Psalm 42, where I want you to notice here in this chapter a question. In fact, actually, it's an indictment thrown out by David's enemies at one of the lowest points of his entire life. Verse 10 says, And as with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? Well, there it is. Four words, Where is thy God? Notice verse 3. My tears have been my meat or my food day and night. While they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? In Psalm 115, the same indictment was put into two questions. Wherefore? Why? It says. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now thy God? And of course, it's not just David who addressed this attack. It was also Asaph in Psalm 79 who cried out, Why should the heathen say, Where is their God? You know, back in the days when other nations looked at the United States of America as a predominantly Christian country, and specifically around the time of December the 7th, 1941, right after 2,403 American service members were attacked and killed on our shores, a lot of atheists and a lot of idolatrous countries repeated the same words. Where's your God now? I'm talking about the atheists at the time in Russia, Buddhists in Imperial Japan, even humanists in Europe and in our own country, scoffers, they mocked and, and they said, where is thy God? So much for stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above. Right after 9-11, the same accusation was thrown out, the same scorn by Islamic terrorists, including after a 9-11, university professors right here in America and a lot of unbelieving entertainers in Hollywood so that there's never, ever been a shortage either then or now of people who see believers enduring some affliction and respond by accusing them of following a God who either doesn't exist or is weak or doesn't care. And yes, sometimes it's your own family members. Sometimes it's people at work and neighbors and classmates. And you know, as our text shows, this is not an accusation that our God hides from or that heaven is so embarrassed about that it's scrubbed from the pages of Scripture. If the Bible were the Associated Press or Google or Facebook or the FBI, every algorithm and every platform manipulator, every editor, every agent and outsourced moderator, every deceitful tactic known to man would be mobilized to deplatform these haters with their negative and toxic talk. But God does not hide this from in His Word. And God, our God, is not afraid of the smear. And that's because it really isn't a smear, or at least it's not a real one. Picture a man in a little rowboat. He floats up next to the $13 billion USS Gerald R. Ford aircraft carrier. 23 million pounds. And the guy in the robot, rowboat pulls out one of those little plastic squirt guns from Oriental Trading. 
and he attacks the starboard side of that, of that aircraft carrier by screaming and, and, and shooting little bits of water. It's not a real threat. And as such, it's not a real embarrassment. And so from the oldest book in the Bible, in God's Word, where Job hears it from without, to the last book in the Bible, where the whole world celebrates the death of the two witnesses, and everywhere in between, always, the devil has danced on the grave of saints, and everywhere his servants, the devil's servants have pointed their little squirt guns and spewed out the question, where is your God now? The question is puny and lazy, but the answer is profound and powerful and full of promise. And God has a message for you today. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word, all of your word. We're thankful, Father, that this, that this question is placed in your word many, many times. To remind us that there's an answer. To remind us that the question will always come, but also that there's an answer. Speak to our hearts, please, through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three things I want us to consider this morning concerning this age-old question that troubled David's heart. And the first, the most obvious consideration, number one, is the reproach. Verse 10 again, with a, As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me. While they say daily unto me, where is thy God? By the way, when we say that this indictment, this reproach isn't valid, that it isn't real, that's not to say it isn't painful. That's not to say that it isn't hurtful. David says that his reproach is like a sword in his bones. A few weeks ago, I texted the boys a photo and it was a photo of these remains that were unearthed from an ancient battlefield. And it shows a femur bone, some poor guy's femur bone, with the head of a spear still stuck in, all the way in the bone. It was, it was like this. And yeah, it was, it was a picture of pain. And David admits this as with a sword in my bones, he says. In verse 3 it says, you'll notice he has tears. Lots of tears and for lots of reasons. But then to add to those same tears, his enemies were mocking them and reproaching his God and reproaching him, therefore. And yes, even though the reproach is hollow and even though it's empty, it still hurts. Early Wednesday morning, 2 a.m. early Wednesday morning, our fire alarm went off at our townhouse. And I'm not talking about the little beeping on a smoke alarm. I mean the entire fire evacuation system with strobe lights and piercing whistles and this loud recording that kept saying, fire, fire, evacuate, fire, fire. I mean, it's loud. So from a deep sleep, I jump out of bed and hurt my back. I stumble in the dark and I stub my toe on these two 20-pound weights that I have next to my bed, you can tell. I use those puppies, right? <laughs> Finally, you turn on the lights, and there's Ben at the door. What's going on? Fire, fire. It's so loud and so constant. And, and while it didn't take more than two minutes to see that there really was no fire at all, 
the alarm doesn't stop. And there's no override. Fire, fire. It was all fake news. <laughs> but somehow it made my toes throb harder and my back hurt more. And it went on and on. So much so that I started wishing there was a fire to burn the thing out. <laughs> you see, something doesn't have to be true to be harmful or hurtful. For David, the enemies who were mocking his tears and reproaching his God, you know, what happened, David, to all your psalms? You're the one who, who killed Goliath. Whatever happened to, is there not a cause? Now you're running and you're hiding in caves and people you love have, have been put to death. Whereas now thy God, David. And you know, there's two words in the text that remind us of this reproach and how it's relentless. The first one's in verse 3. Look at it. My tears have been my meat, my food, day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? There's that word, continually. And then verse 10 says, As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me. Daily? Continually? Yes. This kind of attack is satanic. And that means it, will all, it has always been around and it always will be around. But you know, the difference today, frankly, is that today we have 24-hour cable news. Today there's Twitter and print media. David had to hear this from a messenger. Hey, they're saying, where is your God? But you and I can get it from a notification on our phone or the relentless reproach on television or Reddit or the children's section in Target. It's daily. Daily, David said. And yes, somewhere in the world, some little puny person with a megaphone looks at a Christian's tears and says, where's your God now? Now where's your God? It's really a stupid question. But when someone is down, it can be like a sword. A sword in your bones. Which is why, by the way, can I just say this? You do not want to be included among that crowd that says it. You know, some of the greatest rebuke and warning and judgment in all of the Bible is reserved for those people who kick others while they're down. The Bible calls them scorners. They use words of criticism by means of gossip and rumor to put a sword in the bones of other people who are already wounded in battle. This is a reproach. And you know, beloved, as a child of God, there's no avoiding it. There's no truce that you can make with the world. There's no olive branch that scoffers are going to accept from you. I'll remind you what Jesus said. The servant is not greater than his master. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And of course, you talk about kicking someone while they're down. It is while Jesus was hanging on that cross that the people, including the, the, the chief priests, including the scribes and the elders, they said he trusted God. Let him deliver him if he will have him. In other words, where's your God now? Jesus of Nazareth. And folks, if the kindest 
and the wisest and the most generous man ever to walk on earth is reproached, then obviously his followers will be. Which brings me to the second thing in the text. Number one, there is the reproach. Expect it. It's been around forever. Where's your God? Where's your God? Where's your God? Where's God now? Why would you God let that happen? Number one is the reproach. Number two, I want you to notice there's the rejoicing. You say rejoicing, Pastor? Oh yeah, of course. Look at verse three again. My tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with a multitude, I went with them to the house of God. With a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude, a bunch of people that, what, that kept Holy Day. Now wait a minute, from reproach to rejoicing. Look at verse 10. As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? And then David sort of talks to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him. Praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Folks, you talk about a turnaround. This is the kind of turnaround that the Miami Heat need tomorrow night. Amen? Or Mike would say, this is the kind of turnaround the Celtics have had the last three games. Whatever, dude. How does this happen to David? It, it feels like a sword in his bones. And now he's rejoicing. He says, I'm going to put my hope in God. It's actually kind of simple. In verse 3, David sees and David hears the enemies. And that's what you do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. In verse 4, David sees and hears God's people in God's house. And what exactly were God's people doing? Well, they were praising God together. They together were glorifying God. They were putting their hope in their God. And when David goes with them in this reality check, here's his response. It's in verse 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Why the anxiety? No, hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. By the way, there's a very powerful connection between the end of verse 5 and the end of verse 11. Have you ever noticed it? Look at it with me. The end of verse 5, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Look at the verse, end of verse 11, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance. His countenance, my countenance. In other words, when you look to God in your tears, when you look to God in your distress and those are reproaching you, when you see His countenance, that's when it changes your countenance. You ought to come into this place maybe a little grumpy, but always praising God when you leave. One of the great lessons of, of David's life, as the girl sang just a moment ago, is that in his complaints and his cries, he learned to take those complaints, to take those burdens to God. That's why you read so many of them in the Psalms. It sounds like, Pastor, it sounds like David's a complainer. But folks, that's only because David took those complaints. He realized that the Lord, his God, has big shoulders. And he can take all comers with all of their burdens. 
Now, complaining and whining to people all the time, there's little point to that. Half of the people aren't interested, and the other half are glad you're finally getting what you deserve, so why tell them? And maybe you're here today, and you're, you're thinking that your tears are such that there is no rejoicing. There's just constant. Can I show you something? Look at verse 3 again. My tears have been my meat or my food day and night. They continually say unto me, my tears have been my meat day and night. That's real, folks. And most of us, I think maybe, maybe even all of us, we've been there. Tears, he said, have flowed day and night because of my situation. But there's another reality about night and day as well. And David testifies to it. It's in verse 8. Yet, yet, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the day, the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. You see, beloved, no matter what the haters say, no matter what reproach or scorn or where is God now, where is thy God, while you have tears night and day, it doesn't alter this truth at all. It does not affect the reality that during those daytime hours, God still commands His loving kindness. That's why we say God is always good. All the time. And all the time, God is always good. In the nighttime tears, the Bible says He gives a song. So if you think about it, I mean, think about it this way. Anytime a scoffer, you just happen to be in the airport, so you have to watch the communist news network. It's always on, whatever. You have to be in the, the getting your tire change and, and something's on. Anytime you hear these scoffers, anytime a scoffer asks a believer the question, where is thy God? Or, as he says it in Psalm 115, where is now thy God? See, that's pointed. How about now? When you're not on the mountain. What it effectively does and should do is cause us to rejoice. Because it really just reminds us that God is exactly where He has always been. On His throne and in our hearts. Day and night, God is watching and God is working. I remember 20 plus years ago. It was about four minutes until church was to begin. And it was over on Center Street in the old days and I went to grab my Bible and my notes and they were gone missing four minutes now three it's not a lot of time to go on a let's go on a bible hunt my notes and so yeah there was a little bit of a sense of panic and just then this junior high boy who's now a grown man in this church and married he says to me hey pastor where's your bible with this goofy grin And, you know, instantly the panic went away because what was meant to be a fearful comment, hey, where's your Bible? actually put my mind at ease. I grabbed his collar <laughs> and I said, don't ever do that again or on the Lord's day you will be a living sacrifice. <laughs> I was about to put a spear in his fever bone. 
So, hey, Christian, hey, Christian, where's your God? Oh, yeah, thanks for reminding me. Our God is on his throne. And the Most High, he still ruleth in the kingdoms of men. Verse 2 says, my soul thirsteth for God. What God? Here it is, the living God. The living God. Number one, there's the reproach. Number two, there's the rejoicing. Number three, I want you to notice there's the refreshing. We alluded to this earlier, but I want us to ponder this for a moment. You came to church today. You're here in the midst of God's people. Look at verse four. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude, I went with them to the house of God. With a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. In other words, God used the fellowship and the faithfulness of His people to refresh and rescue and revive David's spirit. When Asaph, remember Asaph said, where is God? He, or the enemy said to him, where is your God? Asaph said, I had well nigh slipped. I saw the prosperity of the wicked and it was too painful for me, he said. And I was about to slip. I was about to backslide, to fall until, what, what did he say? You remember, until I went into the sanctuary of God. You see, folks, this is yet another reminder in the Bible that God blesses people so that the blessed ones can bless other people. The God of all comfort, that's his title, Paul said, the God of all comfort comforted us by the coming of Titus. If you read that text carefully, you will see that God blessed Titus so that when Paul needed to be blessed, God used the blessing of Titus to bless him. And then Paul said, now I can take the blessing I got from Titus and bless you people. This is God's plan. Wednesday night in our foundation series, we noted that the blessing, the idea of blessing itself, is a foundational, fundamental concept in the Word of God. God blesses the trees and then the oceans, and those things are now a blessing. God blessed Adam and Eve, it says, and he blessed them. And now he says, you go forth, you be fruitful, you multiply, and you become a blessing. Also in Genesis, God blessed Abraham so that he would bless the whole world. In the New Testament, one of the Greek words for blessed or blessed is makarios. Our Lord Jesus used that word often. There's an island in the Mediterranean called Cyprus. And the Greeks called it, gave it a specific name. They called it Makarios, the happy isle, the blessed isle. They believed that because of its ideal location, because of its soil, its rich and its great climate, that everything you needed in the whole empire to be happy was right there on Cyprus. Not every Christian can go to Cyprus. But every Christian can be a Cyprus. Self-contained island of blessing, just like Barnabas. That was his home island, you know. That was his hometown. Who left that same island and became the son of comfort, the son of encouragement. He was a blessing everywhere that he went. David's reproach turned to rejoicing in great part because of the refreshing that he received at God's house. 
I've stated this before, but if you have a bed of coals, you say, Pastor, what happened to so-and-so? They were faithful to church. They were serving the Lord, and then they dropped out of church, and they dropped out of fellowship, and then they got upset about this or that, and they got farther and farther from God, and now you never see them, and now they're bitter and cold and unfruitful in the kingdom of God. If you have a bed of coals, it's the one that falls off by itself that grows cold. God in His wisdom and in His mercy and grace gave to us the local church and Jesus loved the church and gave Himself for it. I've always hesitated to tell this story, but there's enough water under the bridge now. I can tell it, I'm sure. Years and years ago, one of our members came to me and said, Pastor, let me tell you what happened to me a few weeks ago. I came to church one Sunday morning and I was at a breaking point, absolute breaking point. So many things were hitting me from the world and the devil and just life's everyday heartaches and problems. And all of these burdens and needs and I I pulled into the church parking lot and I was at the point of tears. And when I got out of my car, another church member in a gruff voice said, you're seriously going to park there? You young people should park across the street in the grass parking And he said, Pastor, I got back in my car, and I drove away. But as I started driving down Center Street towards the west, I saw one of our oldest couples getting out of their car in the farthest away grass parking spot. And they were smiling, and they were faithful as they always were. And so he said, I was convicted And I turned around in Circle K, and I came back. I walked into church, he said. I avoided the grouch. I sat by some visitors. I was able to sing the hymns, hear the message, and be convicted. I greeted some visitors that were next to me, who it turns out, he said, were in a business that gave me the perfect help and advice for my largest burden, and we became great friends. And long story short, that Sunday, he said, that Sunday has remained one of the best days of his life. He said, because I decided that no matter what, I could still go and I can be a blessing. And I found that when I was a blessing, God continued to bless me. You know, when David got to the house of God, I wonder how many people thought, oh, what an easy life. Must be nice to be the king. I mean, he parks his chariot right by the door. (laughs) What an easy life. No, he has a sword in his bones that day. There's nothing easy about his life. I'm going to knock him down a notch. There are some Christians that think that their spiritual gift is notch knocking. I'm going to humble these people. I don't know. I know this. I know that it is God's will for you and me to bless other people and nobody knows the burdens that they're really carrying on any given day. Well, they were nasty. Maybe there was a reason. And I know this. I know that the world, the flesh, and the devil do plenty of knocking down notches alone for me to join their efforts. Focus on how good God is to you. I read this morning 
that a two-year-old in North Korea was sentenced to life in prison because his parents were found with a Bible. Two-year-old. Maybe we should be grateful on this Memorial Day weekend that we have freedom, that we have more Bibles in our house and our car than a million families do in a place like North Korea. Reproach, rejoicing, refreshing. The response to having more Bibles than you will ever need, to not worrying about a two-year-old being put in prison for life, the response of driving a, a car that would be the envy of the world, having more clothes than we need, more food than we need, sitting in air conditioning. The response is not guilt. Oh, that's what the world wants you to think. The response is gratitude and then being a blessing. Blessing those who are undoubtedly beaten down and weary and tired. Where is thy God? Where is now thy God? Where was God when your son was killed? Same place when his son was killed for your sins and your son's sins. He was on his throne. And he is on his throne. And he will remain on his throne now and forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed. I wonder who would say this morning, Pastor Blaylock, I'm here this morning and I'm saved by the grace of God. I know in a group this size, the vast, in a church like this, most of you have accepted Christ as Savior. But I wonder who would say, Pastor, that's me. I am saved by the grace of God. However, as a Christian, I needed this message. Now look, there's so many people here. There's a lot of different places you could be on either side of verse 3 or verse 10. You can be the one who God has blessed so much you came into this place singing and rejoicing. You could be the one who came into this place simply by faith and there's a pain in your bones and you're starting to doubt and question because you've been filled, your brain has been filled with assaults from the world. Where's your God now? If God is a loving God, why is there sin in the world? And on and on. You could be that person. Someone comes to church and the first thing out of your mouth is negative and hurtful. Not realizing that they too carry a burden. It really doesn't matter where you are. I do know the Holy Spirit will speak to you where you are. Pastor Blalick, I'm saved today, but I needed this reminder from the Word of God. Look, folks, you don't have to be embarrassed by fake news. Where is your God? You don't have to be fearful about it. Just come with the multitude of God's people, sing his hymns, fellowship one with another, exhort one another, encourage one another. And then you see the truth and you go back out and you're a blessing. Pastor, I'm saved today, but I needed this message and God has spoken to my heart about something. As a believer, who would say that? Would you lift your hands through the building and amen and amen and amen. Be a blessing. Not a blessing robber. That's God's plan for us. Everybody, everybody gets assaulted as a child of God. Look, 
If they persecuted me, Jesus said, they're going to persecute you. The person next to you, in front of you, behind you, is, is carrying a burden just like you are. Some in this room, undoubtedly in a group this size, maybe many, I don't know, but God knows how many of you here today, you're not even saved. You're not even on your way to heaven. If you were to die today, you don't know you'd be in heaven because you've never had your sins forgiven and your name written in glory. God has sent his son Jesus to die for your sins. And if you're not sure about your own salvation, could we just pray for you? I won't embarrass you or come to you. Maybe you're watching by live stream. You say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not sure today that I'm a believer, that I'm saved, but could I be? Would you pray for me? Who would say that? Would you lift your hand really high until we see it? Amen. On my left, in the back, yes. Anyone else? Raise your hand. We're going to pray for you in a moment, yes. We're going to have a time of invitation, as always, and I encourage you, if the Lord is speaking to your heart, obey his voice, won't you? Father, bless now the invitation. We thank you, Lord, for your word. and We think about the Psalms. And how often, Lord, how often the Lord Jesus himself quoted them, fulfilled them. We thank you, Father, that you're a comfort, that where people have burdens and heartaches, you're there, as the girl sang a moment ago, that it matters. Our dear brother Gary Wiesick, Father, who's lost his wife of many, many years, a faithful lady. What an encouragement. I pray for this, brother, Lord. We all do. That you would lift his spirits, encourage his heart, and his whole family. And Lord, for those in this room who may be carrying a like burden, use us, Father. As the hymn says, make us a blessing to someone today. We thank you, Lord, that you're always there, always on your throne, always in charge. You will always be. So that when it feels like there's a sword in our bones, Lord, we can come with the multitude of your people and rejoice and hope in you. And I pray that we will in Jesus' name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.